0: Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Brilliance Security Podcast. Hello, my name is Steve Bocut and I am an editor for Brilliance Security Magazine. Brilliance is an online digital publication dedicated to the security industry. Our mission, and thus our name, is to illuminate the intersection of physical and cybersecurity. We cover both of these security domains by publishing original content about threats, hacks, products, and security strategies. We hope you will enjoy this podcast and visit us at magazine.com. <music> Welcome to the Brilliant Security Magazine podcast, and thank you for joining us today. We appreciate your listening. Today, we're going to be speaking with Corey Nockreiner. Corey is the Chief Security Officer at WatchGuard Technologies, and we're going to be discussing security red flags that could make an organization attractive to hackers. And Corey has a lot of expertise in this area, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Before we get started with that, let me tell you a little bit about Corey. A frontline cybersecurity expert for nearly two decades, Corey regularly contributes to security publications and speaks internationally at leading industry trade shows like RSA. He has written thousands of security alerts and educational articles and is the primary contributor to the Secplicity community, which provides daily videos and content on the latest security threats, news, and best practices a certified information system security professional. Corey enjoys modding any technical gizmo he can, that he can get his hands on and considers himself a hacker in the old sense of the word. I guess that's
1: before hackers were bad guys. When were non-criminal. Non-criminal So I guess hackers. just by, if you call yourself a hacker, you probably aren't one. <laughs> that's
0: true. Yeah, if you're doing
1: that openly.
0: So welcome, Corey. Thank you for joining me today. And thank you for joining me again. So this is the second time that we've had you on the podcast and, and the first time you were here. We thoroughly enjoyed it, at least I did, and it was probably one of the most popular um, episodes that that we've recorded. And I must say, I'm going to add to your bio here a little bit. So for those of you who don't know Corey, um, he's the kind of guy that as soon as you meet him, you just want to be his friend. He's just the nicest guy you've ever met. Incredibly intelligent. He knows his stuff, but he's just the nicest guy in the world. In fact, I must say that after I had Corey on the show for the first time, kind of my uh, my stock in the cybersecurity cyber security circles that I run in kind of went up a little bit because everybody thought, oh, you know Corey. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wish I knew Corey better, but I've only met him like this, but uh, he's a great guy and we're thrilled to have him with us today. So welcome, Corey.
1: Well, thank you, Stephen. The pleasure is all mine. It's great to be with, with brilliance around security. I, I, I... I think my stock is rising too. Okay. Everything you said was very kind, but All right. I'm just here to enjoy my passion, which is uh, making sure we can enjoy our technology and not be bitten by it.
0: <laughs> and your passion comes through. And I think that's probably what's, uh, what's so appealing about you is it's easy to tell that you're passionate about this stuff. So let's start talking about WatchGuard. So tell I'm, I'm going to go under the assumption that everybody knows who WatchGuard Technologies is, but tell us... In case there's someone who's new to the industry or doesn't know a lot of the background, tell us what you can about WatchGuard technologies, size, history, core competencies, that kind of thing. And I'd like, if you would, if you'd include in that conversation, if you'd touch on this secplicity community, it's something that I'm quite fond of, and I'm not sure everybody's as familiar with secplicity as they are with WatchGuard.
1: Yeah, happy to. So first, uh, even if everyone knows WatchGuard, we've changed a lot in the last five years. So I want to make sure you know who WatchGuard is now. But uh, we're a 25-year security company. We've been uh, we're celebrating our 25th year anniversary right now, which is a pretty big thing for a security company. Uh, we basically focus on bringing enterprise-grade security to the mid-market, which includes a lot of SMB. So you know, obviously, huge enterprises can spend a ton on security, but right now. Threat actors are going after the smallest businesses as much as the biggest ones. So, finding a way to, to give you the security you need when you're that mid market company is very important to us and is, is really our core competency. Now, how have we changed? You know, you might know WatchGuard if you know WatchGuard as a network security company from 20 years ago. But remember, I said we are bringing security today through a lot of acquisitions over the last five years. We really cover three buckets. Of so security fully, obviously network security was our historical kind of, mm-hmm. you know, our, our, our main pedigree. So we have a full suite of network security products, uh, you know, next generation firewall, unified threat management are probably the acronyms you've heard, but we now have a full suite of endpoint security we acquired a company called Panda. And we have full endpoint protection and even endpoint detection and response EDR And we have identity security. Uh, We have a a standalone multi-factor authentication product called AuthPoint. And to me, those are really the three pillars at IT. You know, you're focused on protecting your network, protecting the endpoint, especially in this remote day and age, and protecting the identity wherever they are. So main thing you should take away is we're not just the network security company you knew. We have all of that. As far as simplicity, that's, that's my passion. You know, I've been... Uh, Here at WatchGuard, well over 20 years now, uh, and in many different roles. One of them was just a security analyst back in the day, and uh, I'm all about education and thought leadership around security. And Secplicity is our blog for that. We certainly have product blogs, and we could talk. I could talk to you about product all day, but Secplicity is really about just bringing awareness and education to everyone. Sure, if you're a WatchGuard customer too, we will mention here and there how our product helps, but it's really about educating you to the threat landscape, what's going on, the best security practices, and we do it in our own podcast, we do it in written content, and we do videos as well.
0: All right, awesome. And If anybody hasn't been to your website, it's secplicity.org, that's
1: S-E-C-P-L-I-C-I-T-Y.org. Uh, And I I highly recommend it. Thank you. (laughs) Insight joke. Go ahead. I have to enunciate. You always have to enunciate secplicity. And hopefully you can tell it's security made simple. But if you mispronounce secplicity, you could get (laughs) yourself into a little hot water.
0: You don't want to go to. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you for that. All right. So let's get into the topic that we came to talk about. So red flags that might attract hackers. Tell us what some of those red flags
1: are. What do they mean? You know, those kinds of things. I mean, there's a lot. And, and, and I, I tend to think technically first, but when a hacker is enumerating networks, they're, they're going to go for the lowest hanging fruit often. You know, certainly they have some targets in mind if they're more sophisticated hackers, the type of business where they can monetize. But when you're looking for right targets, red flags. You go for the lowest hanging fruit, so I, I would start with the first, which is patch level. I mean, the first thing an attacker does is reconnaissance, enumeration of their target. You know, using publics, passive sources like DNS lookups and and who is databases to figure out where some of your infrastructure is for the domain your company hosts, and then they'll start scanning that in many different techniques. And the first thing is patch level. You know, if I start to see, oh, wait a second, it looks like the web servers are one month behind, or gosh forbid, two years behind, ah, this might make a good target. There might be something there. And that doesn't really
0: take any special skills and or technology or tools, right? Anybody I, could do that pretty much, right?
1: The passive stuff anyone can just do using public sources. Uh, when you start to get into the scans, there might be a tool, but I still say anyone can do it. I mean, YouTube could train you into what I call these script kitty enumeration techniques in about mm-hmm. 10 minutes. So anyone can spin up at the very least nmap, map, let alone a, a more detailed tool pretty easily. So this is all very low hanging fruit. Uh, The next thing, and this may be as a result of the scan, but there's certain types of services I would look that a company is exposing. Obviously, everyone's going to have websites and email servers, and hopefully they're focusing their security there. But more and more today, organizations have to have some level of remote access. And there's good and bad ways to do that. So one of a red flag to me is exposed RDP servers. RDP stands for Remote Desktop Protocol. It's basically the Microsoft protocol that terminal server and, and, and their remote management tools use. And a lot of people just expose that to all of the internet, knowing that they're Their technicians might be anywhere in the world when they want to connect. But to me, that's very dangerous. One, you know, I know, I think everyone knows that credentials are stolen a lot or leaked. So credentials could get you right in if you don't have MFA. Two, RDP is one of those Windows services that's really targeted by researchers and black hats alike. It has had pre-authentication vulnerabilities that give you full access just because the port is exposed. Uh, you probably remember WannaCry ransom. or actually, I'm sorry, not WannaCry. That was a different SMB uh, exploit, but uh, Blue, Eternal Blue, I believe believe is the one, actually, I'm thinking blue keep is the RDP vulnerability that basically, if you exposed it, you would pop right in. So I, I don't, if, if I'm an attacker and I see exposed RDP, I'm happy. To some extent, I might look for VPN. We might talk about VPN later as a way to protect, but VPN is another type of remote access. I'm not as happy if I see that exposed as an attacker, because it's not, it, it, it's, it's made for security to some extent, but I still might probe any remote access, whether it be RDP or VPN, looking for lack of MFA, which kind of brings us to our next red flag. As I'm looking over your, your infrastructure as my potential victim, I want to see if you're just using credentials everywhere or if you have any MFA concept, whether it's your website, whether it's remote access and all of that. And if you don't have MFA, that's attractive to me. That means that it's less bars for me to hop to get into your network. A simple credential can work. I might even be able to do a search on the dark web and find some of your employees' email addresses that have been exposed in breaches to, to get a password to log in. So that's a, you know the third, MF, uh, third flag besides remote access is VPN. And I guess other things, I mean, we could go on and on, Stephen. There's so many. Uh, But another thing I also look for is notice the focus on identity and login. When you have websites, any authentication medium you expose to the public, whether it's how your customers log into your website to get their identity or how your employees use that remote access to login, I'm also going to look for some sort of login throttling. I might purposely, from a, a protected proxied IP, try to fail at a number of logins really quickly to see what happens. Like I might do 12 logins I know are going to be bad, looking to see what happens after that 10th login. If Suddenly I did get a different message from your website where my account is locked out. That's login throttling. That's a protection to kind of prevent brute forcing of login. So while brute forcing is kind of an old school and simple and, and, and frankly, uh, a noisy technique uh, when you have authentication and you don't have throttling, it's still quite an effective one. Wow.
0: Okay. Uh, if we back up just a little, I was curious when you were talking about the MFA. So, are there? How does the how does the the uh, the bad guy? How does he? determine whether you've got MFA
1: um, Usually for Usually for that stage, there there can be sometimes indicators and headers and what you know when it's a website. If it's a VPN or RDP, you have to kind of get to the stage where you have a stolen credential. So it's not like an immediate red flag for those two. there are sometimes you know but but I say we'll say for a website you can actually sometimes see in the design and your own login a lot of the times when it's they're going after big properties like Twitter uh, an attacker can have a legitimate account of their own as a a fake low-paying customer, sure. and by having that access, they can learn a lot about what a typical customer could or couldn't do on accounts, so that they could start targeting the the accounts they really want to get into. Yeah. For VPN and RDP, though, it is quite quite a bit harder. I'm not sure if there's any header exposure that tells if MFA is coming until you get to it. So yeah. for that, you know, it's as they found you'd have remote access. The first thing I would do as a threat actor would. Find some known leak credentials for domain addresses. Again, search for my email on something like, have I been pwned? And you will have, you'll find leak passwords. We all have, exactly. News is none of those are relevant. I follow leaks. I change my passwords and I enable MFA. But my point is, if I saw an exposed RDP as an attacker, I would probably go and search that domain name from all these leaked databases, try a few of the passwords. And if you're lucky enough to stumble on something that is still active and works, that would get you to the point where you'd figure out, oh, wait, they're asking for something else or they're not, I'm, yeah. I'm in, Yeah, <laughs> My first red flag got me in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, that is interesting. I don't know if I've actually thought about that. We've, we've all got passwords and, and login credentials that we know have been exposed, so we've changed them and that's great. But those can still be used to learn. A um, threat actor could take that information and learn more about us, learn more about the mm-hmm. sites that we go to, the, the security precautions that are in place for the, for the places that we go. And I
1: suspect not everyone is like us. Not everyone realizes how many of the breaches we've been in, like Adobe or LinkedIn, and have really changed. So I think you might be surprised how many that are even in public leak databases that are still credentials that work although i will say smart companies nowadays they force their users you know it's no longer you should change your password after they have a breach they kind of reset the account to have a change on the next login which is good for them to do that if they do have a, a password breach leak yeah.
0: okay so uh, the net This conversation begs the question, what do we do uh, to protect ourselves from being the the next cyber victim? But before we get there, we're going to take a short break. So hang with us and we'll be right back. Okay. Welcome back, Corey. Thank you. So um, we've talked about some of the red flags that we should watch for that could potentially make us a a, uh, cyber victim. So now let's talk about what what security teams can do to help avoid becoming the victim of a cyber attack.
1: Sounds good. And and really, the the beauty of all these red flags is, by definition, they're low-hanging fruit. So they're easy stuff. To me, that means 101 security practices covers a lot of them. Uh, But before we just repeat the 101 security practice, I think a lot of you know, I'm going to give you the first thing you can do, which may not be 101, but I think is just... Become the hacker yourself. I mean, one of the things a security team should do is a little red teaming of their own. Mm. Obviously, you need to have the right talent, the right people at your organization that have these skills. But, you know, hopefully, all of you at least scan your network regularly due to different compliance, whether it be SOC compliance or PCI compliance or whatever you're under. So you could grab a same network scanning tool that these guys use, or maybe the more professional business ones, like uh, there's many on the market, I'm not gonna name drop them, you probably know them. And scan your network looking, uh, mostly the public network, the, the public exposed IPs, looking for what an attacker would see if they do that scan. What does your patch level look like? Have you been doing a good job there? But then the next step of that is when you find things that are interesting and maybe a little low fruit, that's when you put on your hacker hat and you enumerate them. You know, go to your own website, not as, you know, a product person trying to figure out how usable is, but as a hacker to see what it exposes, to try to log in a few times with a fake password to see what happens. And and so do some of the things these hackers are doing to enumerate networks to yourself and you will be able to find some of these red flags or low-hanging fruit before they do and hopefully fix them. So anyways, that's just a shout-out to security teams to, to give them some, self some time to, to red-team themselves. You know, the funny thing with being in security... Is defenders have the hard part. Like I, I, I'm into security because I love technology and I do want to protect it. I don't want bad hackers to to do anything. But you got to admit, the hacking itself is technically interesting. Right. The being mm-hmm. able to elevate privilege, do something you're not quite supposed to be able to do, but to force it, that is fun. Meanwhile, as defenders, we're not really doing that. We're trying to find all the. They just have to find one thing we missed. Meanwhile, we have to protect everything but that's why putting yourself in this hacker mentality to try to to give yourself that challenge if you can break in it's not just good for you know understanding more about hacking it's good because you will find the holes and plug them too but speaking of plugging oh, i'm sorry i'll let you pause for a second no no
0: i i just wanted i i I was just kind of concurring with what you said that i can i can understand how that would be fascinating to um to be in a red team environment where you're trying to, to yeah. break in. And, and you're right. I think most defenders don't ever get that chance unless they're specifically on the red team for their organization and yeah. get the opportunity. That's why to we do go that. to DEF CON.
1: Yeah. yeah and, exactly. and, it's, and, and we should admit that while we are against hacking that hurts for company, it's an interesting concept, which is probably what got us into figuring out how to stop it too. So it's it's fun. It's interesting to do. Yep. I certainly like doing hacking demos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In any case, the the 101, the the what you're plugging is much easier. I mean, start with the scans and the unpatched server. It, it's I am a nerd, so I love to focus on really sophisticated and cool attacks that involve zero day and really interesting evasion techniques. But while I'm making up numbers to some extent, 99 percent of attacks are not that. 99 yeah. percent of successful attacks are the basic stuff. It's there was an unpatched service server. And POW, the biggest company in the world, gets pwned because they d- they didn't patch a vulnerability that was fixed three months ago.
0: You know, I've so- I, I I've been surprised so many times when you finally get to the bottom of these hacks that we read about, we follow, what we investigate, and you realize that it was just something basic. It was one of the security 101 things that somebody forgot to do or didn't Absolutely. do right.
1: They left themselves
0: exposed.
1: And it, yeah, and it, it doesn't mean the sophisticated stuff doesn't exist, but no smart hacker is ever going to use that and burn that capability right. when they can just do this easy stuff and get in more often than not. And and to be fair of the companies, it is hard. As I said, the defender's job is hard. You have to catch everything. So when there's thousands and thousands of things to do at a medium-sized organization... You know, I'm not I'm not uh, piling on you for missing the one thing, but really that that is our struggle is is constantly trying to find that one thing. So making sure we patch and there's a lot of devil and details there. Like I can from my security white tower say you should keep everything unpatched and every critical patch should be patched within days of it coming out. And even the lowest severity should be patched within a month. But when you're talking about multi-global companies that have 25 offices across the world, some offices are brand new and just opened up because of an acquisition. And, and you have business needs, this production e-commerce server has to be up all the time because it's making the money for you, and you have this patch, but you can't quite move to it yet because you have to change the underlying web code of your site to be compatible with the new version of the .NET framework or whatever, I can say, just go patch right away, and you know that reality means there's sometimes a business risk management where we have to have acceptable risk for a period of time yeah, but sometimes still... sometimes
0: that reality also means that your your security team is understaffed and underfunded and
1: that's just exactly. the reality that you have to deal with yeah so so i realized that that that's why everyone knows just patch but it's not done 100% of the time the best thing i can tell you is just prioritize prioritize the more you scan the more you have actually done the the real hard work of figuring out what data and what servers and services are most important to your business running, It, it gives you at least the priority of being able to say, look, this is the most important key to the kingdom. We have to patch this if there's a business issue we have to, you know, fight that out an executive level and figure out the proper risk management. So it's hard work. It's a lot of working with other departments. It's a lot of, you know, if there's a business reason you're avoiding something, pushing them to get that solved faster so you can patch. But that patching solves a lot of things. All right. So that's one. Uh, the second, I, I will simply say. Least privilege principle. So, the second we we're talking about overexposing remote access, especially RDP. Let me give you the, the RDP VP. Everyone uses RDP to some extent and VPN. My personal belief is RDP should never be exposed publicly, only VPN should. And that doesn't mean you don't RDP, but that means if people can VPN from anywhere, that VPN will give them private, not public internet, private access to your RDP servers. And after they VPN, they can RDP to their heart's content. But the second part of, so I say only expose VPN, not RDP. But there is a second part of that, which is put MFA on VPN. Frankly, you should put MFA on RDP too, even internally only for other lateral reasons. But but VPN is the one you should expose publicly, and it has to have uh, it has to have MFA on it nowadays. There's too many risks of credential leaks. There's also been some VPN uh, vulnerabilities and VPN products of the past. So it, it, I think Pulse Secure attackers have been even when Pulse patched long ago, all the attackers basically scanned the internet for all those VPN servers. They hijacked the unpatched patched ones to steal credentials. And now they have credentials for tons of VPNs, right. which is why you want MFA added to it. But it also speaks of the first one that as you're prioritizing patches, remote access devices like VPN should be patched first right away. <laughs> right, right. Okay, awesome. Any more? The third tip kind of li- lives off that. I personally believe every organization should have MFA deployed to their entire organization, every user. And that means when they log into their laptop, even your uh, front desk person should be using multi-factor authentication. If you're logging on to any SaaS application, you know, cloud application your company uses, use multi-factor authentication. If you have a single sign-on, a multi-factor single sign-on platform, like for instance, Point offers, it's still easy because you just have to do that multi-factor once and the single sign-on can get you to lots of places. But I see too far too many businesses using multi-factor only for privileged access, only for their administrators. And I pretty much think everything from the customer logging to your website, from you logging into every employee logging on their desktop should use MFA. Because let's face it, a lot of times, hackers don't break in, they log it why am i going to do all these technical exploits when i can just get a credential getting credentials is easier than almost all the other things
0: yeah no and i in the research that i've done for the articles that i've written about that i'm again always surprised at how many times that's exactly the case they just log in they it takes no. some work to get the credentials but that's you know they're not really it's not a sophisticated hack like no. you might think they're just they got the credentials I and mean, some of that
1: work is in. just basic social engineering i mean yeah. we we all the phone calls Uh, I think Robin Hood has had a breach lately, which started as a social engineering phone call that got a credential for one of their customer service reps. Uh, And that credential likely got them access to the internal tool that allowed them to grab millions of account data.
0: Yeah, I think that just happened this week. I was just reading about that. All right. Well, we've probably used up uh, the bulk of our time. Before we leave, I do like to leave with kind of an open-ended question for those you can kind of answer the questions that I may have failed to ask. So, what does our audience? What else does our audience need to know about either WatchGuard technologies or about these red flags and what they can do to prevent from being a a victim?
1: I think we covered them. There's a lot more, but just be curious and try to find your own red flags. And I think one of the best things we discussed is. Let your security team put themselves in a hacker mindset and think from that that mindset of an attacker, and you'll find your own red flags if you sit there and poke at your network with those fresh eyes. So, you know, you can do this, you you can do this yourself. You can figure out what your your specific red flags are just by letting yourself think like an attacker and 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 and, and do some red teaming on your own network. Of course, under controlled conditions.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, thank you. Again, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much, Corey, for being with us today. And a big thanks to our listeners for being with us. Please remember to like and subscribe if you find this podcast interesting. And join us next time for another episode of the Brilliance Security Magazine podcast.